Good morning. It's good to see everyone. If you'll turn your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 2, back to 1 Peter chapter 2. That was read for us earlier. Our focus this morning is going to be on a very important section of Scripture. This is an important exhortation that Peter gives to us here in this letter. We'll look at uh, verses 1 through 3, but it does flow over from chapter 1, and I'll show you that in a moment, especially look at the last phrase of chapter 1, end of verse 25, and this is the word which was preached to you, therefore... Like, forget the chapter divide. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, here's the main verb, long for, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. So here we have the Apostle Peter in the last years of his life, the last phases of his life, writing this letter as he watches the impending persecution coming to the believers in this region. And he gives them this important exhortation about the Word of God. He has done that in end of chapter 1. It is the Word of God that saved you. We saw that in verse 23. You've been born again. The seed is the enduring word of God. You see that in verse 23. It's the word that saved you, and it is the word that sanctifies and changes you once you are saved. You always need the word of God. And this is Peter's exhortation. It's an important exhortation to all of us this morning. We need We need God's Word. We need God's Word to save us. We need God's Word. It's the seed that saves us. We need God's Word to sustain us. As we grow up into Christ, you see that in verse 2, that you may grow in respect to salvation. Like I said, the main imperative there's only one imperative in this long sentence verses one through three and that's it long the word long long for everything else around it is like participles or just supplements it and supports it because the word of god is central to everything this passage is talking about last time i told you that the word does sanctify us it and saves us we saw it in second timothy three Paul told Timothy, you heard the sacred writings from your grandmother and your mother. It's those sacred writings that led you to salvation. And then he goes on and he says, the word of God is inspired, it's inspired by God and is profitable for instruction. It's it's profitable for rebuke and for correction and and training you in righteousness. So it's, it's profitable for your sanctification as well. The Word of God is powerful, that's the point. Martin Luther at the Reformation was asked, how did you get around and spread this Reformation everywhere? How did you get all these people to to buy into your message? How did you get people to convert and change from Roman Catholicism to the teachings of Reformed theology and Reformed doctrine? How did you get them to do that? He said, I didn't do anything. I just wrote it about the Word, I just preached the Word, I just taught the Word, and I went to sleep at night. He said, and it just grew, because that's what the Word does. It's powerful. 
He said, he even goes on to say, I just went and drank ale with my friends at the pub, and it grew. He said, it's powerful. You put it out there, you unleash it, and it does its work. Let me take you to a very unfamiliar, at least to, I think to most of us, because it's so small. It's a parable that Jesus says in Mark 4. Just turn there for a moment. In Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 26. And he was saying, and this is speaking of Jesus in Mark chapter 4, he was saying, the kingdom of God is like a man who cast, notice, seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night. And he gets up by day. And the seed sprouts and grows. How? He doesn't know. The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain, then, then the head. Then he, he goes on and, and just says, the, but when the crop permits, then they'll, they'll, the harvest will come. It, it's the power of the word. You just preach the word and trust it to do its work. It's exactly what Isaiah says when he talks about the rain and the snow come down from heaven. They don't return without accomplishing what they hit the earth to do, and that is to water the earth. So is God's word. He says, my word goes forth from my mouth. It will not return empty. It will accomplish what I sent it for. That is the power of the living Word of God. And what you're holding in your hand this morning is essential to your growth. It's essential to to salvation, but also to your growth as a Christian. It's essential to your spiritual maturity. It does that work in us. And that should be our highest priority, spiritual growth. That should be our highest priority, and what we need is the word to help us in doing that. That's what Peter says here in these verses, that you might grow in respect to salvation as you long for the pure milk of the word. It's powerful. It's really powerful. I don't think a lot of Christians believe that. I think you think we need gimmicks. I think you think we need a lot of gimmicks to get people to somehow change and convert. Well, it's not true. You just preach the word. The pure milk of the word. You just preach that. You just teach that. You just, you just speak truth. And trust God to use those words. So we're talking about, we want to get to verse 2. We want to get to that long Four. We want to get to that imperative. And to get there, we've got to get through verse 1. Because verse 1, as Jerry Ragg said, is like the pathway to verse 2. God gives us a pathway so that we might obey verse 2. He said there are some encumbrances that need to be laid aside, verse 1 says. There are some obstacles to longing You cannot do verse 2 if verse 1 is not first dealt with. Notice what he says in verse 1. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. 
that therefore, like I told you, connects to the previous chapter. The enduring word of God. I I showed you that in verse uh, 23, the living and enduring word of God. Verse 24 all of, of chapter 1, all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. All those things are temporary, but the word of the God, the word of our Lord endures forever and this is the word that was taught to you. This enduring word is what was taught to you. Therefore, in light of that, do this. Since you are those who have been born again, he's given this command to you and I as Christians. Since you are those who have been born again, he says, put aside these things. The word put aside sounds like an imperative, but it's not. Putting aside, it's, an, it's part of a participle. It's how you get to verse 2. It's, it's got the strength of a, an imperative or a command, but it's not really. It's just, hey, you want to get to longing? You want, you want to know why you don't long for God's word the way you should? You want to know? It's because you haven't put aside some things. There's some obstacles in your heart that are quenching your appetite. That are quenching your appetite for the pure milk of the word. There are some obstacles in your heart and in your life that stand in the way. And the path to longing for the pure milk of the word requires I first put aside some things that I'm feeding on instead of the word. Putting aside is is like put off and put on of Ephesians. You've got a new self now. You're the old man. The new man talks about in Ephesians chapter 4. The the new man is to put off the old man, to put off the old self, put on the new self, like putting on clothes. Like when you see a stain in something that you're wearing, you say, got to take that off and put something else on. It's that kind of put off, put on. Something I see again in Ephesians 4, 20, uh, 31. Put aside all bitterness. Put it aside. Put it away. It should be named among you. Put it away. Put on love and gentleness and kindness and all these other things, but put those kinds of things away. It's used in James chapter 1, where James says, putting aside all filthiness. The word filthiness is the word, get this, earwax. Get the wax out of your ear so you can hear the word implanted. That's what he's saying in James chapter 1. Get the wax out of your ears. Put aside all filthiness so you can hear. It's it's the idea of repentance. Turn away from things. Turn away from things that keep you from hearing the word implanted. Keep your, keep a, turn away from things in, in Peter's context, context that keep you from longing for the Word. MacArthur in his commentary mentions an early church practice where people would get baptized in their old clothes. And then they would come out of the water and then they would go into some little dressing area and put on new clothes to picture the new life. That represented old me. This is the new me. 
in Christ. These are stumbling blocks that he's talking about here. And I'm to lay them aside, like Hebrews 12.1, laying aside, running the race, laying aside every encumbrance that so easily entangles us. Same idea. And you'll notice in this list, there's five things in this list, beginning with malice and deceit and hypocrisy and slander and on. You see in this list these five things, and they're the opposite of love. They're relational sins. They're the last half of the Ten Commandment type sins. They're relational, how I relate to others. They're the opposite of loving others the way I love myself. These are relational, they're common, uh, they're acceptable sins. If you read Jerry Bridges' book on uh, acceptable sins or something like that, that we tolerate in Christianity a lot of times in our own hearts. And we all deal with these. In our residual fallenness, these are common in all of us. We need to see them, we need to identify them, we need to put them off. Because they are quenching our desire for the Word of God. They are, they are, we're feeding on the wrong things. And it's quenching desire. It's, it's quenching an appetite for God's Word. Malice. First one he mentions, not a common word, not a word we use very often, but it just simply means ill will towards somebody else. Where you harbor evil or vengeful thoughts. Not just actions, but vengeful thoughts towards someone. Where you hold a grudge, maybe, or want to get revenge, or you want to somehow inflict pain or injury on someone, secretly wishing bad things on someone, thinking, hoping that happens to them and, and they will experience a tragedy or something like that. It's like having bad blood. Put it off, he says. Cast it aside. Be done with that. Listen, when that rises up in you, and it will, and it does, when that rises up in you, cast it aside. That's, that's old clothes. And you will not long for God's word if you're a malice person. You will feed your maliciousness if you don't deal with it. And then he says, all oh, deceit being dibber, uh, uh, means to be uh, deliberately dishonest, uh, trying to trick someone. It's actually a fishing term. You're trying to catch with bait. You're trying to put bait on a hook and fool the fish. You're trying to get the fish to think you're giving him a dinner when really what your intention is to provide a dinner for you. So fishermen are basically deceitful. And we need to all repent of it. <laughs> but that's their problem that we have been given dominion over the human ra- over the creation. So that's their problem. But you get the point. Same idea. I am seeking to deceive, to bait someone some way, to, to give them an impression that is not true. Conceal the truth or to misrepresent the truth or... Hebert, in his commentary on 1 Peter, says it's the selfish, two-faced attribute that deceives and hurts others for personal gain. Peter says, get rid of deceit. Get rid of that intentional deception. That will hinder you and quench your desire and longing for the pure milk of the word. Peter goes on to say hypocrisies, plural, all sorts and shapes and forms of hypocrisy. 
It's the idea of inconsistency. It's the idea of pretense. It's the idea of making, be, trying to be someone you're not. It's the idea of playing a role, of wearing a mask. I've talked about this before. It's like they, they would do in their, their plays and things like that, and the actor would get up there and have a mask, and he may be having a bad day inside, but he's wearing this happy face and all that kind of thing. But it's wearing a mask playing a role, pretending you're happily married when your, your home is a battleground. You appear on Sunday mornings and you're, like you're all together and your whole week you've been in carnality the whole week and not practicing what you believe and maybe it's because you really don't believe it. You just say you believe it. Not living by the same standards. This word even goes on. Not living by the same standards as you hold others to. <laughs> Acting like you care about somebody and you really don't. And Peter says, all these hypocrisies, you need to set them aside. You need to set them aside. You need to put them off. Envies, lots of ways we are envious of others, but you go back to Cain and Abel. That was the, an early sin in the history of humanity when Cain murdered his brother out of envy. It rises in all of our hearts. All, all of these do. All of these rise up in our hearts. Oh my goodness. But All of these rise in our hearts. When, 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 especially this one. We wish we had what someone else had. Or at least we wish they didn't have it. We think we deserve it. They don't. And we're resentful of their possessions, their position, the promotion they got or whatever it is. We don't, we want, we don't want them to have that success. We want it. We saw it with James and John, and they wanted to be first. Remember that? Can we sit next to you in your kingdom? They wanted that position to which Jesus says, that's not for me to give. And the other disciples said, oh, that's a good idea. Pick James and John. They were all indignant that they would even ask Jesus such a question. They were all indignant. Just jealousy. Why didn't I think of that one? before they thought it, you know. And then slander. Slander, speaking in a way that destroys someone's reputation. Wow. <laughs> Character assassination, running others down, talking behind their backs to make them look bad. You want to look bad in the eyes of others. The gossiping or sharing rumors or even true facts. They're not in the room to defend themselves, so you just feel free to say what you want to say. The real question is, was it really necessary for me to say that about that person? Was it really necessary? See, these are sins that are tolerated in the church. That's the problem. If he was talking to humanity as a whole, you know, he might have said things like homosexuality and immorality and murder and thievery and da 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 da. But he's talking about acceptable things that we harbor. He's talking to Christians. Probably a good rule of thumb on slander is just never say anything about anyone that you would not say to them if they were standing in the room. It's probably the best way. Just make that commitment. Let's make that commitment. I'm speaking to myself as well. Let's make that commitment. If they're not there, then don't say it. And just don't say it. Unless you're part of the solution to the problem or something, 
Ask yourself, why do I need to say that? And the word all there, you see the word all in front of some of those, it just means, hey, don't think you can find your favorite sin and little pet sin within these and keep nurturing it. It's all, it's everything, it's inclusive. Anything, anything related to these five, he's saying, lay those aside. Don't try to justify yourself and like we all do. We need confession. We need to get on our knees, say, God, I am guilty of all five of these. They rise up in my heart all the time. God, I want to repent. I want to put them off. Because you know what, God? There's something bigger here, and that is I want you, and I want your word, and I want your living word, and I want to grow in respect to my salvation. I don't want to be a baby, immature Christian my whole life. I don't want to just grow old in Jesus. I want to grow up in Jesus. Grow up in faith. And mature in my faith. You want to squelch your, faith, your, your growth and you just harbor these things. And you will harbor the power of God's word working in you. That's what he's going to go on to say. But this is the pathway. This is the pathway he's laid it out for us. It's great. This is how you get a heart that longs for and craves the word of God. That's what the word's going to mean. You're going to see that meaning here in just a moment. One thing sin does, and we all know this, I know this, we all know this, sin blunts, sin blunts spiritual desire. It, it blunts our spiritual appetite. And Satan is always going to put things out there for me to sample. Try this rod, entice me in this direction, entice you in that direction. So it will decrease my spiritual appetite. He does not want me to mature in Christ. He does not want me to grow up in salvation, in sanctification. Sin does that. John Bunyan wrote a quote. No, John Bunyan said something and we all quote it. That's the better way to say that. John Bunyan wrote this. This is excellent. This is excellent. Talking about the scripture, he says, this book will keep you from sin. Get that? This book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. What a quote. Incredible statement. If there are unconfessed sins in your heart, and today we're going to partake of the communion table. What a time to think about that. God, help me to examine my heart. Help me examine my heart in these four areas. And God, help me to turn from them, to put them off. What are the, and I know, God, that they are quenching my desire for your word. I see it. I don't even open my Bible all week long. I don't, even, I don't really care that much about what it says. I just come and listen to a sermon, and then I don't ever open it again. No, listen, God, I know I don't have an appetite for it, and I bet you it's because of these things, God, or some other sins in my life that hinder and, and quench that appetite. That's what you got to do. Before you partake of this table today, decide decisively, decisively today. Here's what you need to do. I should say this is my suggestion on what we should do. One, everybody get your own copy of a Bible. That sounds basic, but a lot of people don't have a copy of the Bible that is their own that they can look at and mark up 
and circle words and write in the columns and take notes in. They don't have their own Bible. They don't bring a Bible to church. They don't bring a Bible to Bible study. They don't carry Bibles anymore. I don't know. It's just our culture. I realize it's all on the phone. I love the, my phone app with the Bible. I love that. It's convenient. I use that a lot. But don't let it replace you having your own copy of a Bible that's your Bible, that belongs to you, and you know your way around that Bible. And you know the books in their order, and you can find them, and you can learn from them, and you can, and you can underline things and applications and all those kinds of things. Everybody needs to have, number one, a Bible. A Bible. And number two, get your Bible and write John Bunyan's quote in the front of it. In your Bible, not the Pew Bible. In your Bible. In your Bible, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Personalize it. This book will keep me, this book will keep me from sin or sin will keep me from this book. You want to do some writing while I'm preaching, this is acceptable right now. You can write that in your Bible if you want to. Or later today, or sometime. This book will keep, you from, will keep me from sin or sin will keep me from this book. Go to verse two, verse two. This is the imperative, this is the main point, this is where he's headed. And he uses an incredible analogy here, something we can all relate to or can easily picture. Verse two, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Baby, baby. The word for the smallest child is the word baby. You put newborn in front of it, we're talking the smallest. The smallest. We're talking about born just now baby. That's literally what it says. Born just now baby. We're not, and understand something. We're not talking about baby Christians here, okay? Don't get your metaphors mixed up. Don't get your analogies mixed up. There's in Hebrews chapter 5, you should be... You should be teachers by now, but no, you need someone to feed you. You need someone to give you the milk of the word. That's, that's a baby Christian. That's a Christian that has failed to mature. You see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, I wanted to talk to you as spiritual men, but I have to talk to you as babes in Christ because you're immature. That's not what's going on here. We're not talking about an immature Christian here. We're talking about all Christians here. All Christians should be like this. All Christians should be like a newborn baby in longing for the pure milk of the word. So don't get confused. Some people get confused. Some sermons I've heard, have heard about have preached it the other way. That's not true. That's not the metaphor here. This is all Christians. This should be all of us. It's positive, it's not negative. It's not talking about immaturity here. And, he, and, and his point is, his point is no matter how long you've been a believer, since you've been born again and you're a new Christian, you're, excuse me, and you're a Christian and, and, and you've been born again and you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you and you've been regenerated and we should never lose that baby-like longing for spiritual nourishment, that's what he's saying. Never should lose that longing for spiritual nourishment that a baby longs for. Long is the main verb. It's the only verb. The only verb in these three verses. It's the imperative. It's the point of the text. It's, if you don't get anything else out of what I'm saying, understand this. Long for, desire, 
even stronger. It's an intensive verb. Crave. Crave for the word. Crave. The NIV, I think, uses the word crave. The moment a baby comes into the world, it is instantly, instinctively, and insatiably desiring milk. It's mother's milk. It's desiring that immediately. I mean, think about you for a moment. Do you instinctively and insatiably desire the milk of God's word? Think about that. Do any of those terms describe you in any way? That desire, longing, craving, insatiable desire. See, this should be true of all of us. This should be true of every one of us. God gave his word to save us. God gave his word at the moment of salvation. (laughs) And then there should be this connection to it even now. The word of God birthed us spiritually, grows us spiritually. And you've observed a baby. I've said this many times and you've seen a baby and they're drinking a bottle and go after that thing. Uh, They hunger. It's vigorous, relentless. It's consuming. That desire wakes them up. It wakes their parents up. It wakes the whole house up. They, They don't... Everything works when they, they want, they, they scream until you get there. And they'll do whatever it takes to get you there. <laughs> they're, they're, as one writer said, they're like milk addicts. You know what an addict is. We know what that is. A drug addict, we understand that. A compulsive, obsessive dependency on some kind of drug. Babies have that obsessive dependency on milk. They're milk junkies. Milk junkies, that's what they are. God created them that way. God created them that way. It's their desperate desire of a newborn to get his desperate need, his most desperate need. It corresponds to his greatest need. That desperate desire for something corresponds to his greatest need. That's us. We need to desire our greatest need. And they can't develop without it. They can't grow without it. They can't. They're not going to make it. You just leave them by themselves and don't do anything. Folks, they'll die. They won't go anywhere. They'll just die. And that's a, this is just a great illustration for us as believers. John MacArthur, his commentary says this, Babies crave milk and only milk. You, you care about the You, as their parent, care about the color of the blanket. They don't. You care about the crib. They don't. You care about the curtains. They don't. You care about the cute little outfits. They don't. They don't scream because they're offended by the color of their pajamas. They scream because they want milk. (laughs) That is great. And isn't it amazing that everything about a baby is wonderfully genteel and wonderfully soft and, and cuddly and inviting except their voice, which is horrific and almost completely alien to everything else about them. It is necessary, he says. You're not going to forget to feed your new baby. You're, gonna, you're not going to forget to feed your new baby because he or she will scream his or her head off until you do. This is the singular focus. I like that. The singular focus that draws the illustration that Peter is choosing here. They long for the pure milk. 
It's not literal milk, you understand that. It's just the nourishment aspect of it we're talking about here. It's the milk of God's word. We know we're talking about God's word because once again, the end of verse 20, 20, chapter one, verse 25, and this is the word that was preached to you. We're talking about the milk of God's word that you're to long for. It's what nourishes the soul. And folks, you get that? I want to tell you something. You get that by sitting here listening to a sermon from this book. You get that by reading the Bible. You get that by memorizing the Bible. You get that by talking about the Bible with others. And we have to be discerning because the word pure is in there. See the word pure? You've got to be discerning. You, don't, you want unadulterated milk. You don't want... You've got to be careful what you listen to. You've got to be careful what you listen to the word pure there was a word that was used by merchants who would describe their products as being uncontaminated because it's very common to mix other things in with their products to make it go further or to make it weigh more than it actually did so they can make more money. You get that. And what they would do is they'd advertise, no, this is uncontaminated whatever it is, unadulterated, the warning to us as believers is that there are peddlers of God's word out there. 2 Corinthians 2.17, for we are not like many peddling the word of God, trying to profit off the word of God, trying somehow to build a following and build up their pride or whatever they're doing, whatever their motives are. There's a lot of peddlers out there today and they just tell stories and they just tell jokes and they just swing out over the congregation on a rope and swing back and go this way and, th and they just have a light show all around them and all of those things. I'm not saying everything is bad. Maybe the swinging out over the congregation is bad, but not everything is bad. It's, it's just kind of like, but folks, that's just because you don't trust the power of the book. You've got to do something to make it more palatable so it'll go down easier, I guess. I got to do something so you'll like it better or you'll like me better or you'll come back to this church and you'll give more money. I don't know what's motivating them, but the point is it's not pure milk. And that's the warning he gives us. You long for not just any milk, but the pure milk of God's word. Don't get an appetite for something that's not God's pure word. And it's easy to do. Philosophies of this world are enticing Thinking of this world is packaged in nice packages that make it somewhat appealing. And somehow we want to come sometimes mix that in and say, oh, it must be Christian. It looks so good. That's why we try to warn you over and over again about philosophies and, and, and secular counseling and all of those things. That's not the pure milk of God's word. And that's not trusting in the pure milk of God's word if you think you've got to add anything to it. They've got to, they've got to peddle it. They've got to sell it to you. They've got to make it so uh, you'll, it'll go down, you know, palatable. Take sin out of the message. Take the cross out of the message, do something to make it so the world will like us better, the world will look on us more favorably if we get rid of some of our things that we say. 
So we just preach it because we believe it's powerful. It's relevant, it's powerful. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? We're living in a day and a time where people are looking for, for foods that have no additives in them. They want products that are cage-free, gluten-free, I don't know, sugar-free, free of everything. They're so concerned what they put into their physical body, we must be the same way about our spiritual lives. So, got to be cautious. And that's why he says that. Long for it, crave it. Crave the Word of God, the true Word of God. And so are you, are you choosy and cautious when it comes to the Word of God? I w- you cannot get your theology from Christian radio. I just, you just can't. It's too much of a mixed bag of... You just can't. That's the theme of the whole, the pastoral epistles is always the warning about false doctrine, strange doctrines. This word pure is the word for hygiene. <laughs> Interesting. Hygiene. Um, something is clean, nourishing to the soul. Paul is always correcting, the, he wants sound doctrine. Sound doctrine means healthy doctrine. Sound doctrine means uh, correct doctrine. You want to put correct things in your minds. Not false doctrine, not strange doctrines, as Paul calls them. Walt Kaiser made a great quote here. He says, it's no secret that Christ's church is not in good health. This is, this is the result of churches not teaching the pure milk of God's word. He says, they're not healthy They're languishing because they've been fed junk food. All kinds of artificial preservatives and all sorts of unnatural substitutes have been added to the word. That's what's wrong with so many churches and our society and our country in in, in American Christianity and around the world is just they get away from the word of God. And they start tolerating all the sins of society because they lost their authority in the scripture. They don't trust it. I got a better way, the world's got a better way, or this makes more sense to me. Uh, Lean on their own understanding. Oh, we're too simplistic. All you people do there is worship the Bible. I'll address that in just a moment, but that's, that's what you hear. So, we can't gorge ourselves on junk food. Moon pies and Mountain Dew go down good, but they don't do much for you, right? They don't do much for you. You want anorexia? I don't know if I have time for all these, but anorexia nervosa, you've heard of that. It's very serious. But the symptom of that, and I'm going to apply this in a spiritual context, but the, the, the symptom of that is you go for long periods of time and not eating any food. And then when you do eat food, you binge or you throw it up. And that unfortunately has a spiritual, (laughs) think about this spiritually, there are many Christians that go long periods of time and do not feed on God's word. And when they do hear a sermon from the word of God, they can't take it down because they have no appetite for it. You follow me? They will not sit through what you're doing here today, a 45 minute or so sermon. They would never do that. I want a sermonette. Get me out of here quick. 
or let's do other things besides talk about the Bible. No appetite. So that you may grow in respect to salvation, you're still in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, that you may grow in respect to salvation. This is the goal of every Christian, to grow, to grow and mature, not to be a, a babe in Christ your whole life, but to grow and mature in your faith. It's, in, it's sort of in the passive tense, so that you may grow, the word of God may grow you in respect to your salvation. You long for it so it may grow you. And that only happens when you're exposed to the Word of God and you're hearing it and you're doing it and you're applying it and, and, and you're growing and you're, you're never satisfied, yet you are satisfied. You're not satisfied. Like Paul says, I haven't arrived yet. I, I just keep pressing on. I'm not there yet. And I want to be. It's a holy dissatisfaction. It's, I'm, I'm not satisfied where I am. I want to grow more and more and more. And one day I will be in his presence and I will see him as he is. And I will be fully realized in who I am in Christ. Matthew 4.4 4 says, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do I believe that? Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I will, sometimes I catch myself, I'll get up in the morning, check my email first, go and check this, read this article, read that article, read that article, get, make sure my coffee's there. God, I gotta make sure the coffee's there. Make sure the coffee's there. Go through all of these high priority things in the morning and then I'll neglect my time in God's word. You like that? I've been like that way too many times. Way too many times. I can't think like that with God's word. We need it. It's food. It's our nourishment. It's what grows us. It matures us. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, here's our incentive. If you or since you, it's not a, something like you hope it's happened. Really, this, because this has happened, since this has happened to you, since you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, 1 Peter 2, 3 says, he gets this, uh, it's sort of a loose translation of, of Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. So he's assuming they have tasted the kindness of the Lord in salvation. It's the kind of thing you taste it and you want more. It's kind of like the reason, the, one of the big reasons I like to go to Costco, you know, is because of the samples. The samples, oh my goodness, go at the right time of day, it's lunch. <laughs> On every aisle, it's great. And you go to Costco and you taste the samples and the reason they give you the samples is they hope you'll buy it. And then they hope you'll really like it after you buy it and buy it again. And that's this. We have tasted the kindness of the Lord. He did not give me what I deserve. He did not give me hell. I deserve hell. He gave me heaven. He gave me life. He gave me hope. And I guess what I say in this is we don't, we don't just study the Bible because we want to get Bible facts crammed into our brains, that's not it. We don't want to just become smarter sinners, that's not it. We want to know the God of the Bible. 
We want to know Christ. That's what I say to those who say we worship this book. No, no, no. I love this book because it's a living word and it points me to Christ. It helps me to fall more in love with Jesus. It helps me to be more dependent on him. It helps me to grow in my relationship with him. I'm not worshiping black letters on white pages. This is a living word. The Holy Spirit uses it to transform and change me and to change all believers who long for it. And the pathway to longing for it is to get rid of all of those other things that are competing for your craving. Lay those aside. That's what he's saying. And that's what he's saying. He's provided us a sample in our salvation and we just need to keep going back. We see how good he is and we want to more and more understand his goodness. And so that brings us to the communion table this morning. And I can't think of a better place to deal with the malice, the slander, the hypocrisy, and the other two. <laughs> I can't think of a better place to deal with that before you partake of these elements this morning. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. May this church be one that longs for the pure milk of your word, not just goes to the motions and takes notes in our Bibles and does all those things, God. May we be those who longs for it because we want to grow in our salvation. We want to grow up in Christ and know him better and gaze at him and his goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.